from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. The boss wanted the server deleted. Why would you try to destroy the security video if you didn't do anything wrong shown on the security video? Why would you try to destroy the security video if it didn't prove you had broken the law? Why would you move the documents after the government said don't move the documents? And why would you move the documents without remembering that you would get caught on security video moving the documents? And why, when you did remember that you'd get caught on security video, would you then try to destroy the security video and get caught trying to destroy the security video? And why would you not just move the documents and try to destroy the video of you moving the documents yourself. But instead, get on the phone with your property manager at Mar-a-Lago for 24 minutes and ask him to destroy the video, only he doesn't know how to destroy the video, so he has to go ask the IT guy, and you have to have Walt now to get involved too, so all of a sudden... The two of them are literally skulking around the bushes trying to figure this out and going through tunnels with flashlights looking for security cameras. And there are four people in this conspiracy on top of a conspiracy. And how many Trump loyalists does it take to change a flashlight? The boss wanted the server 
deleted. And oh, by the way, this is on top of the espionage. If the espionage is too complicated for the jurors or the public or the voters or history, you go back to the first question. Why, Donald Trump, would you try to destroy the security video? Why would you bother to destroy the security video? Why would you risk destroying the security video if you didn't do anything wrong shown on the security video? The cover-up sank Richard Nixon. The cover-up got Bill Clinton impeached. And this cover-up, destroy the servers. Destroy the servers. The servers. Server. 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 It now looks exactly like the server cover-up Trump accused Hillary Clinton of in 2016, a theme he pounded weekly and daily and hourly and arguably won him the White House and it is indelibly etched into people's opinions of Trump. The word server and Trump are synonymous. We're now just one reference to bleaching away from a complete match. And that's just the first cover-up we only learned about yesterday. The audio appears of Trump quoting the Mark Milley U.S. military war plans for attacking Iran and showing them or showing something to publishers Louise Burke and Kate Hartson. And Trump goes on Fox and indignantly tells Sean Hannity, there was no document. He didn't show them anything. They're framing me. It was just papers. It's not a secret document that I have stolen and am illegally showing to people who have no clearance to even know it exists, let alone see it. And then you say, Oh, Mr. Trump, you mean this secret document that we've had all along and we really only had the time to develop the charges against you over it because you and your ambulance chaser attorneys and your Federalist Society judge you appointed managed to delay the start of our trial by five months. Thanks for the extra time. And oh, by the way, we're not coming out and saying this, but clearly we have the testimony of Louise Burke and Kate Hartson. And did we mention that on the videotape we have all your property managers texts and your IT guy employee four is testifying for us he and employee five are both testifying against you and we have all of Walt Nauta's messages right down to the shush emoji he used to remind the person he was telling all this to not to tell anybody Prosecutor holds up giant blow-up of Nauta text with shush emoji, six feet tall. Perhaps, Mr. Nauta, this will refresh your memory. <sighs> Are there also smiley faces? Did Walt Nauta use the poop emoji, too? Did he use the poop emoji last night? Did the latest guy whose life has been ruined by Trump, Carlos de Oliveira, the property manager now facing prison time, did he use the facepalm emoji or maybe the skull and crossbones emoji? The boss wanted the server deleted. And oh yeah, we were supposed to be finished with the documents case. Yesterday was supposed to be the day Jack Smith indicted Trump on the January 6th case. Psych! More documents case. Three more charges for Donnie. Shocked cat emoji, wide eyes emoji, Edvard Munch's scream emoji. 
it's almost as if they had laid a couple of traps for him, both on the attempted destruction of evidence and, oh, by the way, that can carry a jail term of up to 20 years and on the Mark Milley Iran document. On the document, first, make sure he denies it publicly. Make sure he gets indignant. Make sure he says it doesn't exist. Make sure he's absolutely painted himself into a corner. Make sure all of his apologists emphasize that they didn't specifically charge him with stealing that document, just the other 31 documents, and then, and only then, say, oh, right, we did leave that out. Thanks for reminding us, Don. Give the indictment back. We'll just we'll just use a little carrot mark here. We'll slip it in on page 72. On the security video, who knows who blinked on that, but employee four and employee five must have seen the light for some reason since the original indictment in May. And you keep reading this saga of the gang that couldn't destroy servers straight. And you say this guy, De Oliveira, is 56 years old. And the indictment makes it clear Trump wasn't sure if he could really trust him. And he is a far better bet than Nauta to turn on Trump because Nauta is clearly a moron. But shush emoji, don't tell Walt that. I mean, it's too good to be true for us to believe that they announced the superseding indictment on the documents because Trump sent his lawyers in yesterday to politely threaten Jack Smith that, as Trump posted, quote, an indictment of me would only further destroy our country. But it is absolutely plausible that the timing worked out this way because the lawyers, John Lauro and Todd Blanche, asked for the meeting and yesterday morning was the time for it. You cannot indict somebody on charges just hours after his own lawyers go in to pitch you on not indicting him. It just isn't done. And it works to the defense's advantage. So that meeting was the last procedural hurdle before indicting him on January 6th charges. Before the revised Mar-a-Lago documents indictments, sucked up all the oxygen. There was a lot of reporting that the meeting with the Trump lawyers yesterday included a discussion of logistics, specifically how to handle the possible echoes of January 6th when they forced Trump to surrender for indictment for January 6th. Sharp-eyed reporters saw Jason Bagshaw at the Prettyman Courthouse yesterday. He is the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department commander who specializes in planning for and handling protests. Unless he was there because he really likes a restaurant in the neighborhood, this should erase any doubts that the Trump January 6th indictments are happening and happening right soon. As to how soon? Well, if the May timeline is held to, then Smith met with Trump's lawyers on Monday and the grand jury did not indict him on its next scheduled day Tuesday. It did so on its next one after that Thursday. So the January 6th indictments should be public no later than next Thursday. Hell, they they could have been handed up yesterday and just held on to. And as one legal analyst suggested, the prosecutors don't want to go through the farce of Trump again breaking the indictment news while they, the prosecutors, have to honor the seal on the indictments. When they do reveal the January 6th indictments, they could just send out a press release. Shrug emoji. 
So I went to a January 6th indictment and a stolen classified documents indictment broke out. <laughs> As I mentioned before, you now have the original Mar-a-Lago case bolstered by evidence of a plot personally directed by Trump. I'll say that again. Personally directed by Trump. A plot to destroy incriminating video evidence, and the plot was apparently good at only one thing, which was leaving clues all over the place in carload lots. Plus, the feds have the Mark Milley document. And the separate issue of Trump's loud, angry denials that he had it when he did have it. And... You still have the original 31 documents they indicted him over. And you have the January 6th indictments. And I haven't heard even one vague guess as to how many charges Trump may face on January 6th. Could be three. Could be 703. And you have the Georgia case. And you have the New York case. And you may have another Jack Smith case. And in a vacuum, you would be looking at Donald Trump going to prison for 50 lifetimes and his name literally becoming the definition of truly inept corruption, the verb to Trump, and his grandchildren changing their names so they can just get on with their lives. And sadly, we do not live in a vacuum. We live in a world which contains all of that evidence against Trump, enough to convict him 500 times over, and all of the rank, arrogant stupidity of that man that exists simultaneously with his kind of amoral jungle cleverness, and where since just last October, polling suggests the percentage of Republicans who believe he committed a crime with these documents jumped from 9% to 25%. But... In this real world, we also have Judge Eileen Cannon. I have heard it posited, I have posited it myself, that without the encumbrance of the security clearances for the lawyers, now increased by the addition of the third defendant, Carlos, I don't know, I'll ask you, Seal Taveras de Oliveira, the January 6th case could come to trial long before the documents case comes to trial. And maybe that's true. And maybe that's not true, but I think we need to look with a more jaundiced eye at what Judge Eileen Cannon did in scheduling the documents trial to begin on May 20th of next year. Because the date, May 20th of next year, is strictly bullshit. She also issued a schedule for motions and responses and reports, and the thing has 30 three deadlines on it before we get to the trial date. Renewed Section 3 motion for protective order? That was yesterday. If each deadline is met with a cumulative delay impacting for each deadline of only one day late, if that's the case, one day late for each of the 33 deadlines, that May 20th start of the trial becomes Monday, June 24th, 2024. If each deadline had a five-day delay, the start of the trial would be on Wednesday, November 1st, 2024. And if miracle of miracles, there are no delays? If Judge Cannon, you know, judges... What about the appeal? What is it we need here as a nation? 
Do we, do you want revenge? Or do you want to make sure this monster does not again become president of the United States? Because if you go for revenge, you are looking at the very slim possibility that he somehow beats the rap by getting key evidence excluded or Lord knows what chicanery, or more simply by delaying and delaying and delaying until, as you know, in theory anyway, he is again president and in control of the Department of Justice or another Republican is, one who could pardon him. I don't, I don't know what the rankings would look like of all of the Americans who have fought his bastardization of our country, who have warned of the Pandora's box he would open, did open, and then did shake out all over our remaining goodness and decency. The list of the rankings of all of us who have devoted all or parts of our lives these eight long years or longer to fighting him, but I would like to think I might rank low four digits, mid four digits. I'm number... 2,475, maybe? I mean, I have been working against Trump one way or the other since I met him, and that was in 1983. And if we could get an admission of guilt and an airtight disqualification from public service and public office and an airtight exclusion from any pardon or commutation, I'll sign it. Do I want justice? Yeah, goddamn right I do. Do I want him to die in prison? Yes, please. I'll watch. Do I want revenge? Not proud of this, but yes, effing sir. And I want none of those things as much as I want him permanently removed from the levers of power of this nation in a way that provides at least some token warning to the fascist masses who support him and what he has stood for that ultimately he did not succeed and he did not prevail and that our very shoddy rumors of law do work at least enough to stop Armageddon, if not, you know, plague. You pile on the charges, you fill the nation's minds with the evidence, and you show all the emojis, and you quote all the boss wanted the server deleteds, and you prove it, and you prove it, and you prove it in the court of public opinion, but you do not let the outcome of an actual trial depend on the court of public opinion, on the election. You cannot take that risk. I mean... Don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm almost certain this is academic. I do not think he is enough of a human being to understand what will happen to him if he loses. I don't think he understands that cutting a deal like that would be an utter victory for him. But as much as it pains me, I live here. All my friends are here. My family is here. All my stuff is here. I would like this country to still exist six years from now. And if he becomes president again, I'm not sure that's even a 50-50 bet. 
I would offer the deal. Also of interest here, you sealed Tavares, Trump's IT guy. You picked a fine time to leave me, you seal. Maybe you sealed Tavares, went to Washington and unglitched Mitch McConnell. Now maybe he needs to look at Dianne Feinstein. But what we know for certain is he does not need to see if Congresswoman Nancy Mace is working because she got up at a Republican prayer breakfast and started talking about the sex she didn't have yesterday morning so she could make it to the prayer breakfast on time. In fact, what she said was, that's next. This is Countdown. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Postscripts to the news. Some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions. Dateline Turtle Bay. No word on Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Whatever caused him to shut down day before yesterday like a poorly charged iPhone, there has been no explanation, no follow-up, no transparency, and no degree of the kind of pursuit of this story by the media that would befall any Democrat. There was decent reporting on the Mitch McConnell, if you believe in heavenly vengeance, this is it tour. It turns out his discovery that gravity is more than just a theory did not begin with that concussion suffered at a Washington hotel in March. McConnell also fell in Finland in February while on the way to the fjords. 
Now, he was going to meet that nation's president, but Fjord sounded better. No apparent injury, but then came the concussion and the fractured ribs in Washington in March, and then a third spill, also unreported earlier this month, when he tripped and fell at National Airport in D.C. NBC also reporting he's been going through airports in wheelchairs. Dateline in the Senate. And McConnell may not be the most troubled sitting senator. In the sprawling 60s Henry Fonda politics movie Advise and Consent, there is a scene in which an antediluvian senator is dozing in the cloakroom when he is awakened by another senator played by Peter Lawford. They need the sleeping Solon for a vote, and Lawford shakes him to wake him. Without any preamble, the senator bolts upright and shouts, Opposed! Diametrically opposed! Lawford, therefore, says, no, not yet, Senator, and and I think you're in favor. The Senator nods and goes back to sleep. See, but that was a movie. This was Senator Dianne Feinstein in the, you know, Senate. Senator Feinstein. Um, I say aye. Pardon me? Aye. Yeah. Uh... To say. I, I would like to support a yes vote on this. Um, it provides $823 billion. That's an increase of $26 billion for the Department of Defense. And it funds priorities submitted. Yeah, just say aye. Okay, just aye. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, just in case you assume that anybody younger would be an improvement, anybody at all, or would be more responsible, or would just be more, I, I don't know, professional, we have Representative Nancy Mace of South Carolina. I have talked about her before, and I have suggested she has a screw loose. Little did I know. And I don't know if, if this is what her constituency wants to hear from her. Maybe it is in public, at a prayer breakfast, at a South Carolina State prayer breakfast, at a Tim Scott South Carolina State prayer breakfast. Another year, another standing room only event. And when I woke up this morning at seven, I, I was getting picked up at 745. Patrick, my fiance, tried to pull me by my waist over this morning in bed. And I was like, no, baby, we don't got time for that this morning. Uh, I got to get to the prayer breakfast and I got to be on time and a little TMI. But um, I he can wait. He's got we got I'll see him later tonight. Um, but back to you, Reverend. As the fascist website The Blaze put it, Nancy Mace tells audience she declined sex this morning to show up at a prayer breakfast. Hey, you know what else? I understand. Representative Nancy Mace is part of this organization that is bicameral. Hey now. Still ahead on an all-new edition of Countdown, shake hands with Birdie Doggett. This is not one of the most famous of the James Thurber stories, but it is one of his funniest. Next, first time for the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. Nancy Mace, not here. The bronze Barbie. Here we go. 
You knew this was going to happen. $337 million worldwide the first weekend the movie is out. And out go all the dramas and the rom-coms and the comic book films and in come movies about dolls. Variety reports that Lily Collins from Emily in Paris will star as Polly Pocket in an upcoming movie about that doll. Lena Dunham will direct. I recognize that those are words and human names, but I don't really know what they mean. The Mattel Company also claims films are now in development for Barney, Thomas and Friends, and American Girl. And my sources say American Girl will be directed by Scorsese. The runner-up, Jonathan Turley. My God, I can't figure out what happened to this man. Brain injury or blackmail? But he's topped himself, or bottomed, I'm unclear on the terminology. Turley has written a piece for this disastrous new news website called The Messenger, which postulates that... I'll just quote him. With the debacle in Delaware, there remains the ultimate break-the-glass option for the Bidens. The president could pardon his son and then announce that he will not run for re-election, unquote. This is how far down the rabbit hole previously intelligence people who have become infected with conservatism find themselves going. Not only does John Turley have to whore himself out to serve this mirror image world in which the figurative parking meter violations of the Bidens are worse than the figurative mass murders of the Trumps, but he now is part of this Borg that actually believes Biden's son would need a pardon and he has some reason to not run for re-election. And as to Turdley, as hockey's Dino Cicerelli once said about the on-ice thug Claude Lemieux, I can't believe I shook this guy's friggin' hand. But our winner, Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama, the man blocking every promotion in the military over his culture wars, turns out he's simultaneously continuing to gaslight and boast about how his daddy won the Second World War. Guess what? Senator's doing a little lying. Working as best as it can around the fact that virtually all official U.S. military World War II personnel records were destroyed in a fire in the 50s, the Washington Post reports that at best, Tuberville has wildly exaggerated what his father actually did during the war. The senator frequently claims his father lied about his age and went into the army at the age of 16, but the elder Tuberville, Charles Tuberville's draft registration card still exists. He submitted it on July 16, 1943, his 18th birthday. Senator Tuberville says his father was a tank commander. The Post says that is, quote, dubious. The man's own tombstone says his highest rank was technician fifth grade. Tech fives sometimes drove tanks. They did not command them. Sergeants commanded them. Tuberville says his father was part of D-Day. That, of course, was on June 5th, 1944. The Post finds a contemporary newspaper report that says Charles Tuberville had been in Europe since June 7th, 1944. Tuberville says his father won five bronze stars. The Post notes that the most decorated soldier of World War II, Audie Murphy, was awarded two silver stars and two bronze stars. The Post says there is evidence Tuberville's father won bronze service stars which were given to every member in a company present during a campaign or engagement but those are not bronze stars and gaudiest of all tommy tuberville insists his daddy drove a tank into paris as american troops liberated the city which would have been a neat trick 
On that day, August 29, 1944, American tanks drove down the Champs-Élysées and Tommy Tuberville's dad was with the 9th Armored Division crossing the Marne, 90 miles north of Paris. So unless he took it for a joyride, he did not help liberate Paris. So whatever you think of Tommy Tuberville, just remember, he's worse than that. To feed his own ego, he has dragged his late father's honorable military record through the mud and generously exaggerated it. Senator Tommy Tuberville, fraud, lying about his father, today's worst person in the world! From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I believe the first time I ever heard James Thurber read aloud, it was by William Wyndham, the great actor who did so much serious stuff, drama, comedy. He's a Star Trek original series key figure. He did a lot of great acting in so many different roles, and he did a special on PBS when I was in college in which he performed as James Thurber, narrated some of the drawings, recited from memory many of the short stories and many of the longer ones, too, and I later had the pleasure of telling him that he was my inspiration for reading James Thurber aloud, and we corresponded about how to possibly improve some of the eh, dicier parts of some of the Thurber stories and make them useful for 21st century America. Mr. Wyndham died about 10 years ago, and I lament him still. I recorded on tape 
his Thurber special on PBS, and I still have it, not videotape, audio tape, a cassette. We didn't have home videotape, although I'm proud to say he sent me a copy of a DVD of the performance. And one of the stories he reads, or in fact recites, I will now read for you. It is, I like it very much. It's not considered part of the great canon of James Thurber, but I think it's terrific. And it's called Shake Hands with Bertie Doggett by James Thurber. John Bertie Doggett, known as Bertie to the few people who speak to him, must be 53 now, but he wears his years with a smirk and he is as bad a practical joker as ever. Other American cut-ups in the grand tradition began to disappear in October 1929, and they are as hard to find now as bison, but Doggett's waggishness has no calendar. You must have run into him at some party or other. He's the man whose right hand comes off when you try to shake it. The late George Bancroft once pulled that gag in a movie, but that was so long ago the picture must be a cherished item in the Museum of Modern Art's film library. Even now, when everybody else was running the gamut of bomb fear from A to H, Bertie Doggett was at Grand Central with one roller skate, which he managed to attach to the shoe of a man sleeping on a bench. When the fellow woke and stood up, he described a brief, desperate semicircle, clutched a woman shopper about the knees, dragged her and her bundles to the cold floor, and was attacked by her muzzled Scotty. Doggett, as always, was the first to lend a hand, helping the woman to her feet and then turning to the man. Where the hell's your other skate? He demanded sharply. That's what caused all this trouble. He took his skate off the victim's foot and disappeared into the crowd that had begun to gather. What's the matter over there? A small man asked him apprehensively. Doggett shrugged. Ah, oh, they found a woman with a ticking package, he said. The other man turned and left the station, missing the train he had told his wife he would take. Doggett's pranks usually have the effect of involving people on their far edges, one or two of whom have been divorced as a result. A publisher I know thinks Doggett would make a good story. I disagree because I don't think there's anything good about the fellow, but I have done some checking up on him out of force of habit. His father, the late Carol Lamb Doggett, was a Methodist minister, and his mother was a witch, born Etta June Birdie. When her son was only ten, she taught him how to set strangers' umbrellas on fire. After an April shower, she would sally forth with the little hellion, they lived in Dayton, in search of a citizen with a floppy umbrella. After an April shower, Dayton men lower their umbrellas without bothering to roll them. Mrs. Doggett would hunt until she found a man waiting for a streetcar, his umbrella sagging open at his side. She would then surreptitiously fill the umbrella with paper, several dozen kitchen matches, and perhaps one or two ping-pong balls. As the streetcar approached, she would drop a lighted match into the umbrella. Now, hell hath no dismay, like that of a gentleman whose wet umbrella suddenly bursts into flame. Instead of rolling the thing to smother the blaze or simply throwing it away, nine out of ten men, according to Doggett's statistics, will flail it around in the air, thus increasing the conflagration. Many of Mrs. Doggett's victims were arrested for disturbing the peace or for arson. 
Bertie Doggett has never been much interested in the exasperating paraphernalia of the trick and puzzle shops. Ah, he still uses the wax hand, and he has tried out dribble glasses, whoopee cushions, the foul-smelling stuff you put on chair bottoms to make people think they've just sat on a lighted cigarette, and other such juvenile props. But they never got a real hold on his fancy. He likes the elaborate rib involving a lot of people. The more, the better. He will take a sackful of cold poached eggs to some crowded Fifth Avenue store at Christmas time and slip them, one at a time, into the pockets of shoppers' husbands. And he dreams of bumping into a woman visitor in the ancient glass and crystal room of some museum, dropping an ordinary table tumbler on the tile floor, and sobbing, Sweet God, lady, you have broken the sacred chalice of King Alexander and making her believe it. He has pulled this gag over and over since 1924, but never successfully, with the result that he has appeared 16 times in Jefferson Market Court alone on charges of disturbing the peace, jostling, and molestation. What Doggett probably enjoys more than anything else is following a couple of women along Fifth Avenue or Madison, keeping discreetly out of sight, but well within earshot, until he hears one of the two ladies call the other by name. He says that women are fond of using each other's full name, as in, Why, Miriam Shirtle, I never heard of such a thing in all my born days. As soon as Miss Shirtle, let us say, has thus been fully identified, Doggett will walk briskly ahead for several blocks and then retrace his steps. This soon brings him face to face with his quarry, upon whom he will pounce with a delighted, Why, Miriam Shirtle, fancy meeting you here. Uncross those lovely eyes and tell me how you've been. A young woman he once accosted like this in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, asked him to her house for cocktails in the hope that some member of her family would know who he was. But nobody was home. His hostess turned out to be a bore, so Bertie put knockout drops in her second martini, and after she had passed out, he stole a marble plaque of Kitchener from her mother's room, and he went away. The next day, it arrived at the Shirtles, beautifully wrapped, and bearing a card with the simple legend, Merry Christmas from the President of the United States. John Bertie Doggett married a tapioca brain one afternoon 20 years ago, possibly because he'd lost a bet. Nobody knows. He took her to his house and told her to wait in the living room while he went upstairs and quieted his two Great Danes. He put a record of a dog fight on a phonograph he kept in his bedroom and slipped quietly out the back door. At three in the morning, he showed up in the living room with two match players, Lou Getling and Vic Talbot. Who is this disconsolate female, Talbot demanded, fairly oozing an incurable antipathy to games of chance and cunning? The bride drew herself up stiffly. I am Mrs. John Birdie Doggett, she said, striving for a auteur the name will not sustain. I forgot about her, whined Doggett. After all, we haven't been married twenty or thirty years. We've only been married 11 hours. Mrs. Doggett, the former Ann Queeley, went home to her mother, Mrs. Paul W. Queeley, and never saw Bertie again. I join her, 
in the fervent hope that he may someday choke on his candied dice and pass forever out of our consciousness. He is a hard man to forget, though. I never start to get out of a chair, no matter where I am, without glancing at my shoes to see if I am wearing one roller skate and feeling in my pockets for old, cold eggs. Meet Bertie Doggett by James Thurber. I've done all the damage I can do here. Thank you for listening. Here are the credits. Most of the music was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel, who are the Countdown Musical Directors. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray. Produced by TKO Brothers. James Thurber's works are copyright James Thurber and the James Thurber Literary Trust and appear here courtesy of the fine folks over there and James Thurber's daughter. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2, which was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today out of our set of wonderful announcers was my friend Stevie Van Zant, And everything else is pretty much my fault. Remember, Countdown now also available on YouTube. Nobody knows why. That's Countdown for this, the 934th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him again while we still can. Would today be convenient? The next scheduled Countdown is Monday, bulletins as the news warrants. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.